0: All right, hey, today marks the sixth week, the sixth week that I've been speaking about what I've chosen to call the afterwords. A little bit of a play on the word afterwards there, but these are the things that the Bible says about what comes after this, this life. And we've talked about the very nature of eternity, we've talked about heaven, we've talked about how. we've talked about what the afterlife looks like in general. We talked last week about angels and the specific roles that they play in what comes next. The reason that I decided to preach this series of sermons is that I have become increasingly aware of how much people struggle with these questions, especially during times of loss. People I find in the world don't know what to believe and they have a tendency to think things and to say things that quite frankly don't make a whole lot of sense at all and certainly don't line up with what the Bible actually says. And this is not just true of the folks in the broader culture, of the folks in the world as we say. Even Christians, I find, even Christians are often overwhelmed and confused by the prevailing thoughts of the broader culture, the world around us. And we need from time to time to be reminded of what the Bible actually says, amen? It was no different in the days of the early church. What what we're experiencing, what I see, what we all feel is no different today than it was 2,000 years ago. Now, in our culture today, the biblical view of of the afterwards, as I'm calling them, of what comes next, the biblical view is in conflict with philosophies like, like secularism, humanism, or other world religions. In the Bible times, it really was no different. The teachings of the apostles were in the same kind of conflict. They were in conflict with Greek and Roman mythology. They were in conflict with the pagan worldviews of the cultures in which they lived. In both cases, now and way back then, in both cases, it can be difficult for Christians to avoid being confused by all the noise. Right, All the noise in the surrounding world. And that's why, I believe, the Apostle Paul in particular, he was the one writing to the early churches, encouraging them, leading them, raising them up, teaching them. That's why he spent so much time in his letters writing these these afterwords. The churches that he was writing to, the believers he was training, the people he was speaking to, they needed to know the same things, That we need to know. They were holding funerals and memorial services, just like we hold funerals and memorial services. They, in their cultures, in many cases, had the added pressure uh, of the reality that sometimes just being a Christian could lead to your own funeral. And so there were a lot of questions about things like that. Their questions were real, just as our questions are real. And the answers that Paul gives them, I think for those reasons, are incredibly important for us to know because they're valid and they're relevant and the truth has always been the truth. And so today we consider the afterwards about resurrections. We consider, for instance, Paul's teachings about the resurrection of the dead. Jesus had taught his followers that he would return at the end of time and that when that happened, those who had died in faithfulness to him would be resurrected to live with him forever. Those were the teachings of Jesus. Now, Paul goes into greater detail on that issue, especially, and this is where we're going to start off today, in his first letter to the the Christians living in the city of Corinth. So in your Bibles, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 36, you can read this. Paul writes, When you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first. And what you put in the ground is not the plant that will grow, but only a bare seed of of wheat or whatever you're planting. Then God gives it the new body he wants it to have. And then a few lines later, he picks up on this thought again. He says in verse 42, it's the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. So let's start right there. I want to start with that last line. It's really, really important. And we can't even, I think, talk about resurrection and what that means until we first get this part of what the Bible is trying to teach us. How many times, how many times have we heard people say something to the effect of, well, the soul is really the eternal part of who we are. Or people say things like, well, even after we're gone, our spirit lives on. Do you know that there's even experimental work being done in the, in the fields of, of various sciences that are trying to download an entire human conscience onto a supercomputer? And the idea is that if I can download my, my consciousness onto a computer then I could live on after my body dies because that is what is eternal about me. That is what can be saved. That is what lasts. The thought is that by doing so, a person could live on forever in a virtual state long after their body is dead and gone. And of course, this separation of body from soul or spirit or consciousness or whatever you want to call it. The separation of body from that other thing is in direct conflict with what the Bible says about who we are and our eternal condition. It's a very important distinction, and I think we have to start there. The Bible assures us that God has promised a bodily resurrection, Now I use the word bodily there. God has promised a bodily resurrection. You could just as easily use the word physical resurrection or a tangible resurrection, like you can touch it. Uh, If you want to use kind of the theological term here, God has promised an embodied resurrection. Whatever word you want to use, the point is this. This is coming back, folks. Back in your seatbelts. This is coming back. God has promised a bodily resurrection. Now, that might seem like an insignificant detail. Okay, whatever. Embodied, soul, spirit, whatever. Not important. As long as I get to live up forever, I get to live forever, right? It might seem like that's not the most important thing in the world, but it has really, really important implications for how we understand God. God designed your body. We understand that, right? God designed your body and what God makes, he makes perfect. God designed your body and what he makes, he makes perfect. And yes, your body and my body, our bodies have been impacted by sin. Sickness is part of the impact of sin. Pain is part of the impact of sin. Fatigue, even. We don't often think about that, but just like being tired is an impact of sin and the impact sin has on us. All of those things are true, but this is what we need to understand. That doesn't mean that God says, okay, so, Let's just get rid of those bodies. Let's just get, let's, let. that's not what God does. God does not abandon his work. That is a foundational thing that we need to understand. God does not abandon his work. He doesn't throw things away. He renews them. God doesn't throw something away because it's been impacted by sin. He renews it. That's the gospel, folks. And so we can't afford to live in this place where we assume that on some level God looks at our bodies and says, man, are they broken down. I'm just going to take their soul out and put it in a mason jar and keep it on the shelf in heaven somewhere. Like, that'll be fine. No, 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 no. God doesn't abandon his work. He made it. It's good. And he's not going to throw it away. There's few things in this world that I like better than a really, really warm, fluffy bathtub you know, that just came out of the laundry? Anybody with me on this simple pleasure here? Like a big oversized bath towel that's, that's fuzzy and soft and still smells a little bit like a fabric softener because it just came out of the laundry, right? And you know, I'll use the same bath towel a few days in a row and not notice that it's any worse on day two than it was on day one. And not notice that it's any worse on day three than it was on day, you know what I mean? Like day to day, you tend not to notice, but then at the end of the week, there's a blessing in store as the laundry's done. And you get out of the shower, and you oh, Calgon, take me away, you know? And it's just like, that, that's a wonderful, wonderful thing, isn't it, to be wrapped in the warmth of a brand new, fresh, refreshed, and renewed bath towel. Imagine stepping out of the shower every day of your life into a brand new, warm, fluffy bath towel. Who's got a witness in their spirit about that today? Can I get an amen from the gallery? Who wouldn't want that? Listen to what the Apostle Paul has to say about that, albeit he doesn't refer directly to bath towels. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he writes, we grow weary in our present bodies, and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing, or as I would say in the Revised Dan version, like a fluffy new bath towel, right? But look at this, for we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. Game changer, folks. Very different than how the world pictures souls floating on into heaven, right? We will not be spirits without bodies. Nobody's going to be missing their renewed, freshly laundered, clean bath towel. There is no drip drying allowed in heaven. We will be fully covered. We will be fully covered with renewed physical bodies, bodies that look and function according to God's perfect design for them. And like I said, This is a really important truth because a future without a body would mean that sin had been at least partially successful in its mission to destroy us. But God's not going to let that happen. The resurrection of Jesus was a victory over sin, but it was only the beginning. The victory won't be complete until you and I are resurrected as well. And so that's how we arrive at this truth. The resurrection will finalize God's victory over death. God's victory over death cannot be made final or complete until the bodily resurrection of his people. I should pause here to clarify a really, really important point. Um, I want to make sure that we're all on the same page as I talk about resurrection today because resurrection, in this sense, has to have a very, very narrow definition. Now there are handfuls of people throughout history that have been revived or reanimated, which is to say they have experienced life after they experienced death. The Bible tells us multiple stories about dead people who were reanimated as a result of miracles performed by, by ancient prophets, by the apostles of the New Testament, certainly by Jesus himself. We could probably brainstorm and come up with a, a handful of examples of Bible stories here in which somebody who was dead came back to life. That is not what we're talking about today. In every one of those circumstances, we have somebody who was who alive just like us, right? And then they stepped into death, and then experienced a miracle and the nature of the miracle was was such that they backed out of death but in every one of those cases death was still before them in other words think about Lazarus he made it as far as the tomb didn't he he was dead for a while like he was dead for a minute and then and then Jesus came and performed the miracle over him but Where did Lazarus end up? The Bible doesn't tell us the specific story of his life, but we certainly can assume he ended up dead, right? Death was still before him. Even in secular history, we have accounts of people that experienced death and then for reasons that we can't explain, for miracles, we might call them, began to breathe again. This is part of something that we see from time to time in in medical contexts, People of faith around the world today believe that even today God still performs miracles where he raises the dead back to life. But look at what he's doing. He's taking people who stepped into death and he's miraculously allowing them to back out of it. But death is still before them. That is not resurrection. Resurrection occurs when someone steps into death and then goes through it and emerges alive on the other side. And death is no longer before them. Death is no longer a factor. Death is no longer part of their destiny, part of their future. Death no longer has any influence over them in any way. Only Jesus has experienced this. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 53 says this, Our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Lazarus doesn't count, Right? Jairus's daughter doesn't count, right? The uh, the various other stories that we know, they don't count because our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies, (coughs) excuse me, that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. And here Paul quotes from the Old Testament. He says, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death. Oh, oh, death. Where is your victory? Oh, death. Where is your sting? Resurrection matters. Bodily resurrection of the people of God matters. It's important to us because... The victory of God is what's at stake. The victory of God is what's at stake. See, sin, death, and the grave must be completely defeated. If God is God, then sin, death, and the grave must be completely defeated. And only resurrection can do that. So once we understand how important this idea of a bodied, embodied resurrection is, right? Once we understand how central that is to the afterwards of the Bible, once we get that virtually everything we say we believe about God hinges on his promise that we will one day have renewed bodies, once we understand that, well, now it's time to have some fun. Now it's time to let our imagine, uh, imagination start to run wild. What's that going to be like? a renewed physical body, a resurrection body, what might that be like? What, when I said this is coming back, just exactly how much of this is coming back? (laughs) You know, I have, um, I've struggled with my weight my whole life. I would like to think that in the resurrection, that's not gonna be an issue. You know what I've noticed? I've noticed that these days, every time I go to the barber, it takes a little less time. (laughs) I would like to think that perhaps in eternity, that's not going to be an issue. And I think every one of us could probably come up with with a few things about our bodies that we would think, you know, Lord, (laughs) if we're going to renew this whole thing, i got a few suggestions for you. Now, look. I know that vanity is a sin, right? I'm down with that. I've preached that before. Vanity is a sin. But I've been a good pastor. And I think it'd be nice if God would let me live into eternity as a hobby. That would know, like that, be really, really good. I, I think we all have ideas of, of what it would be like, what we would like it to be. Unfortunately, though, the Bible just doesn't give us too many specific answers about precisely how our resurrection bodies are going to work. But it does point us to the one valid example. And that example is Jesus. Jesus modeled the very first resurrection body. He modeled the very, like, like, like a model on the runway in Milan, right? He showed us what that resurrection body was going to look like. According to the Bible, Jesus was the resurrection prototype. And what he experienced on Easter Sunday is what we all will experience together on resurrection day. Philippians chapter three, verse 20, Paul writes this, and we eagerly await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. There it is. What's your resurrection body gonna look like? What's this eternal bath towel that you will wear for all of time gonna look like and how's it gonna work? Uh, The Bible says we'll take a look at Jesus. We got a glimpse of what that might look like and how that might work when he experienced resurrection on Easter Sunday. The Bible says that for about 40 days, he, he walked and he talked with his followers and, and we have accounts of what happened there and we can kind of read those accounts and glean insights into what it might be like to have a resurrection body. So think now, think about the things that we know about Jesus's resurrection body. Well, we know, for instance, that he was, he was recognizable to the people who knew him. Uh, the disciples would see him and say, Jesus, thought for sure he was dead, but that's definitely Jesus. But on the other hand, there's also a couple of instances when people that should have known him didn't or didn't know him right away. Mary Magdalene, you might recall, in the garden was talking to him and didn't realize it was Jesus. She knew him well. She had sat beside him many, many times, but in that moment in his resurrection body, for at least a moment or two, she, she didn't seem to recognize him. Later that afternoon, Jesus walked in his resurrection body with two of his disciples back to their home in the town of Emmaus. They spent that entire walk, that entire journey with him talking. He came to their home and had dinner, and they didn't realize who he was. So there seems to be this kind of, we can't describe it yet, we don't know exactly what it might be, but perhaps a resurrection body has an appearance that is both familiar and yet somehow inexplicably different. Hmm. Jesus is, in his resurrection body was able to walk through walls, it would seem, there are instances the Gospels record in a few different places that the, the disciples were gathered together in a room with locked doors and shuttered windows, and it, they put it this way, suddenly Jesus was just there. He couldn't have gotten in through the door. He couldn't have gotten in through the window. They don't. He was just there. It would appear that the laws of physics don't apply to a resurrection body the same way that they apply to our mortal bodies that we have now. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? Any walls that you'd like to walk through? Uh, Jesus, in his resurrection body, walked on water. Now, to be fair, he did that in his body before he died too. So does that apply to you? I don't know. Um, But if you wanna try and walk on water, I'm gonna watch you first. (laughs) I think there are some very real and some very interesting possibilities about how the laws of physics are just going to be different In eternity, now the world is gonna paint us cartoons of wings growing out of our backs and we flutter around with harps and halos and whatnot. I think that's poppycock, to use another theological term. But the laws of physics being different? Life and our existence and our relationship to space and time being different? I could get down with that. There's something different about a resurrection body. Uh, Here's my favorite part. Jesus in his resurrection body, he ate. <laughs> he ate a lot. <laughs> he ate a lot. How many of you are blessed to know right now there's going to be banquet after banquet in eternity? You know what I'm saying? There's something about the human existence that, that we like that. Do you remember when Facebook went down this week? I saw somebody saying, I didn't know what to do. I had to go around to my neighbors and just show them what I ate. Right, Because we're so obsessed with taking pictures of our food. And God knows that. And he's like, yeah, you're going to eat in resurrection. I'm like, you're going to eat good in resurrection. You're going to eat good in resurrection. I like that. Most interesting, though, about Jesus in his resurrection body is that he still bore the scars of his crucifixion. Gospels are quite clear about that. He still had holes in his hands and in his feet and in his side where the the spear had, had pierced him. Can I be honest with you? I'm not real sure what to do with that. I'm not real sure what to do with that. I'm inclined to believe that our resurrection bodies will be devoid of any evidence of the wounds and the sicknesses that we've experienced in this life. But I can tell you, according to the scripture, that Jesus's body wasn't. The Bible is very clear that he still showed the wounds and the scars from his crucifixion. I'd like to think that my resurrection body won't have any of the scars that my current body does. Now, I don't have anything that could remotely compare to a crucifixion wound, but on my calf, on the inside of my calf, I have a really, really long scar. When I was a little boy, I was visiting my, my grandma and grandpa Uh, in New Jersey and, and they took me to a park and there was a log in the park and I was walking on the log and I Tripped and I fell off the side of the log and I just sliced open the side of my leg It wasn't a terrible wound, but it bled and I was a little boy at the time So it was maybe an inch long. I'm a bit bigger now The scar has grown with me. It's several inches long on the side of my leg and every time I look down at my leg and I see that scar, I remember the fall. Let me say that again, because I think that line will preach. Every time I see my scars, I remember the fall. Because I think that the scars that you and I have, I'm not speaking metaphorically here. Do we understand that? I'm speaking literally. The scars and the wounds that we have on our bodies remind us of the fall. They're the product of sin. But the scars that Jesus bore are the product of victory. Maybe, do you see I'm not behind the pulpit here? I'm not just preaching. or I'm not preaching, I'm just talking here. Maybe, (laughs) maybe our scars aren't going to be there because they're a product of the fall. Maybe his were there because they were the product of the victory. I don't know. I'm just speculating. But when that day comes, Take a moment to check yourself over. I'm going to be curious to see what what scars are there, what wounds are there. Is is it just the crucifixion or or will there be? Will there be uh, memories? Will there be remembrance of some of the other things? I just don't know for sure. But what I am confident of is that none of the things, I want you to hear me here, None of the things that have physically held us back in this life will have any power over us in our resurrection bodies. If I have to walk through eternity with a scar on my calf from when I fell off that log when I was a little boy, I'm gonna be fine with it, (laughs) that's gonna be okay. None of the things that have limited us in this life physically will have any power or authority over us in the next life, in our resurrection bodies. I want to tell you a story that I told uh, at my dad's funeral a couple of years ago. I know a lot of you were there, so please bear with me. If this is something you've heard before, I'm going to try and tell it a bit more succinctly. But I think it really, really applies to this. Most of you that knew my dad, you, you, you knew that he had lived the last 12 years of his life with the debilitating effects of a massive stroke that he had had. And when he had the stroke, he, he had to walk with a cane and eventually the cane became the walker. And, and by the last few years of his life, when, when this congregation knew him, you know that walker was just very much a part of who he was. He really struggled to get around. He really struggled to move the way that he had most of his life. My dad was never athletic, but he also was always, always, always on the move. And so that walker to me and and the struggles that he had in seeing and kind of navigating life, even just to get from here to there, it was so anathema to who he was. It was so different. About two weeks before my dad passed away, Uh, And we did not know that he was gonna pass away. But about two weeks before that happened, I had a dream one night. It was a very, very vivid dream. And in the dream, I was in the house that I had grown up in, in my childhood home. And it was late, it was dark outside. And I heard my dad drive home. He was coming home from work. And I looked out the window of our house and I could see him park his car in the garage. And in the darkness, and just kind of the hazy darkness of that night, I could see his body, I could see him walking out of the garage and coming up the steps of our back porch toward the back door. And I was looking out in this dream, looking out of this window, seeing that, that kind of dark figure coming up the steps, and I was thinking, oh, dad's home. Now, in real life, I'd probably had exactly that experience hundreds and hundreds of times through my life. So it was a very familiar experience. Oh, dad's home. And just before he got to the back door in this dream, suddenly there was something in me that stopped and I thought, wait a minute, that can't be dad. I don't know who that is, but that can't be dad because whoever that is, just walked down the driveway, got out of the car, walked down the driveway, walked up those stairs and is walking fine. That can't be my dad because my dad has a walker and he struggles to move and he can't do stairs. And then I heard this, this sentence in, in my mind, and you're never gonna see your dad walk that way again. You're never gonna see your dad walk that way again. And in the dream, that statement was so crushing. It hurt. It hurt a lot. And in the dream, I began to weep. It felt like a mean thing to say. (laughs) You're never gonna see your dad walk that way again. In the dream, I began to weep, and it was so intense that I woke up. I wonder if you've ever had this experience. I woke up and I was crying in real life, right? I woke up and there's there's tears on my face, It was two or three in the morning. It was dark in the bedroom. I rolled over. I grabbed some Kleenex, wiped my face off. I thought, boy, that was weird. And I got back to sleep. And I slept the rest of the night. That morning when I woke up, that dream was still with me and very present in my mind. I remember telling Sue about it. I had the craziest dream last night. And the dream culminated in that that statement. You're never going to see your dad walk that way again for several days, for a couple of weeks, that just stayed with me. I couldn't stop thinking about it. I couldn't stop thinking, you're never gonna see your dad walk that way again. And I believed it. I was like, yeah, that stinks. I began to think about how much, I mean, 12 years I've gotten used to his condition, right? I thought I had. But I remember in that period of time, really thinking about how much I just hated that walker. How much I hated seeing him struggle. How much I hated seeing him different than than the dad I knew growing up. And then as I said, about two weeks later, I got a call from mom. He had fallen in the home. She had called 911 and he was being taken to the hospital. We didn't know it quite yet, but he fell because he was having that last stroke that was gonna take his life. And so we arrived at the hospital and within a couple of hours, we were made aware of the fact that he was gonna be leaving. And so he was put into a room, he was drifting out of consciousness, the family gathered, and in the darkness of that hospital room that evening, we just gathered around and waited for him to breathe his last. And I remember when things kind of finally settled down. I mean, there's a lot of busyness as you're getting into the ER. There's a lot of busyness as they're doing the initial tests and getting the reports from the doctors and things like that. But then there's that moment where things just kind of settled down and the family's there and the lights were low and dad was there in the bed and it's, you know, it's just, just wait. Many of you have been there. I've been there with many of you. It's just wait. And so here I am in the hospital room and I'm sitting in a chair next to my dad as he's in this bed. And in that lull, can we call it a lull? I begin to rehash this dream again, this stupid dream. And I had not been in my parents' home when dad fell, but mom had told us the story of what had happened. And I could picture it in my mind's eye. He had tripped and fallen and kind of rolled. And so when she found him, she heard him trip. She came into the room and he was there on the floor and that walker was on top of him because he had stumbled and and whatnot. The paramedics were there and they they came and, and, and took care of all of that. But I'm picturing that image of my broken, fallen dad. And that walker, you know, tripping him up. I'm picturing that image in my mind and I'm just sitting there stewing. And I'm talking to God about it, trying to pray about like, Lord, I thought I was ready for this day. <laughs> I've been preparing for it for 12 years, but I really wasn't. Just kind of praying, trying to hear from God, but can I be honest with you, I'm really just kind of more angry than anything else. And it was in that moment that I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me in a way that I couldn't recognize. And you know what he said? He said, Dan, now do you understand what I've been trying to tell you? And I said, what? (laughs) He said, now do you understand what I've been trying to tell you? And then I heard him say it one more time. You're never gonna see him walk that way again with that image of my dad and his brokenness and his walker and in all the limitations that he'd had for that last 12 years, I feel like I heard the spirit of God say to me in that moment, you're never gonna see him walk that way. Again. I just realized how much I had bought into the lie that the world tells. And I had been stewing over that lie for two weeks and in a bigger way for 12 years. Me, a Christian, can, can, I, can I play the pride card here for a moment, I, I'm a pastor, a scholar of the word of God. <laughs> I had forgotten about the resurrection. I had been living my life under the weight and the burden of a reality that denies the truth of the resurrection. You're never gonna see him walk that way again. And the Holy Spirit had to say, you got, you got it wrong. Now do you understand what I've been trying to tell you? You're never gonna see him walk that way again. Folks, that's the promise of the resurrection. And as much as we base our faith on the resurrection of Jesus, today, can we allow ourselves to focus on our own? Can we not forget The incredible importance of the resurrection that awaits you and awaits me and awaits all those that have departed in Christ. Judy, we grieve with you this week, but I knew your dad. There's a resurrection that awaits him. To all of those who have felt the burdens of pain and suffering of sickness and disease of scarring and fatigue and everything else in this life, God isn't promising you a day when you can run away from those things. God is not an escapist. God is preparing you for a day when you will dance in victory over them. My dad was a terrible dancer. (laughs) He claimed that he had won the twist contest in his youth. I don't know that I fully believe that, but I believe he will dance again. So look out. He will dance again. There's a few walkers in this room today. Chris, you're not gonna need it forever. John, You better use it when you're in this building, okay, buddy? I don't want you walking away from it. (laughs) But when the Lord gives you that new resurrection body, you're not going to need it anymore. Rosalie, same goes for you. Man, I was thinking about Brian. We prayed Brian through a kidney transplant a few years ago, right? Brian's got one kidney in his body, and it's not even his. (laughs) But there's coming a day, Brian, in your resurrection body when you'll have all the kidneys you need. Brian and I were in Haiti together a couple years ago. I saw him slip on the pavement and fall down and hurt his knee. I about had a heart attack when that happened. (laughs) But that's just not going to be part of our reality. We're we're never going to see Brian fall again. (laughs) Sorry for picking on you, Brian, but we're never going to see you fall like that again. There's going to come a day when that's the truth. We're never going to see you trip like that again. Woody... Get the dancing shoes out, buddy. Susie PC, you're at home recovering from your knee surgery. I've been teasing Susie about her future with the Rockettes. (laughs) You know, how soon are we going to get to see Susie in that kick line? Susie, the day's coming. That's the promise. The promise of the resurrection. The day is coming. I think about all of you guys in this church. Many of you, I know your stories. Some of you, I don't don't know all the stories. I don't know all the details, but there's a word from God today that just says, we're not gonna see you like that. There's coming a time when, oh, we're gonna see you. We're going to see you. Do you see why we had to start that way today with the boring stuff, the theology? We're going to see you, but we're not gonna see you like that. Kelly's gonna have surgery here in a couple of months. major intestinal surgery to address some of the things. We've been praying for Kelly about that. Kelly, in Christ, there's a future that awaits you that has nothing to do with the brokenness of your body. None of what's harming your body is relevant ever again. Look, I don't know specifically how that surgery is going to go. I can't see the next steps for any of us Physically. We're committed to prayer, and we believe in a miracle-working God. But I can't stand here and tell you, oh, God has shown me, Janice, that your next surgery will be your last. I wish I could give you that word today, but I don't have it for you. I don't have it for you. I don't know what the next step in the journey entails, but I know where the journey leads. Do you see? I don't know what the next step in the journey is, but we know where we end up. We know where we end up. The Bible refers to that day when Jesus appears again. It calls that day, the blessed hope. I like that, the blessed hope. And I spend a lot of time thinking about that in terms of like, oh, I hope. Like we look forward to, our hope is in that appearing of Christ. The tendency is to think because, rides over, everybody get off. Right? But I think, I think there's something greater than that, in the hope. How many times over the last couple of weeks have you heard me say, the truth is always better than what we thought? The truth is always better than what we thought. See, I think there's something greater in that hope, greater than our, our desire to say, boy, I just, I'm ready to be done. I'm tired and I'm ready to be done. I think there's a greater promise in the blessed hope of Jesus. I think the promise of the resurrection is that hope. I think the promise of the resurrection is that blessed hope. I think as the Bible says, the trumpet will sound and we shall behold him, but then we're gonna look over and be like, is that Christine doing the Charleston? Like, you know what, what, that's the blessed hope. I can't wait to be with my church family in eternity. I can't wait for you all to remind me that maybe some of it did come back, right? I can't wait <laughs> what's gonna come back and what's not gonna come back, that's the problem. I can't wait to see what that's gonna be like. I've said this a few times, I'm borrowing from one of my favorite authors here, we have signposts that point us into a dense fog. We know where we're headed, we can't always see the details, but Folks, someday we're going to see, and I'm I'm hoping in that, I'm hoping in that, I'm looking forward to that day. And look, I didn't know when we came in today that we would have, um, you know, Judy went through loss this week. Anna shared with me that she went through loss, lost her father a couple of weeks before. I didn't know that that was gonna be the case today. On any given Sunday, there's gonna be loss and there's gonna be pain. And there's gonna be scar, and there's gonna be wounds, and there's gonna be hurt, and there's gonna be just tired. Like, these earthly bodies are wasting away, aren't they? But God doesn't throw away. He doesn't discard what's broken. He doesn't get rid of what hurts. He renews it. He restores it. He refreshes it. He recreates. And I think there's a blessed hope in that. Hope means that we choose to live our lives today centered in a reality that we just haven't seen yet. It's there. We just haven't seen it yet. Church, we are a resurrection people. And that doesn't just mean that we serve a risen Savior, as the hymn says. That means, hear it again, we are a resurrection people. The same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives in each one of his people. And today that spirit invites and empowers each of us to live according to that truth. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are a miracle working God. We thank you that you are restoring, recreating God. We today, with hearts full of divine hope, Set our eyes on the promise of new creation. In this life, we struggle against cancer. We hate cancer. We struggle against heart disease. We struggle against accidents, woundedness. Father, some of us today would say, I'm not sick, but I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm tired in body. Lord, our entire planet has been tipped upside down by a disease, by a disease. And we, your people today, live in the light of a promise that says, there is coming a day when we will be clothed in freshness, We will be clothed in glory. We will be clothed in strength. And disease will have no say in the matter. Fatigue will have no say in the matter. Strokes will have no say in the matter. Cancer will have no say in the matter. Evil and sin and death and destruction will have no say in the matter because Jesus is Lord. And the victory is ours. God, the very, very real challenge for us today is to live in light of that reality despite the fact that we are surrounded by so much brokenness. We are a resurrection people. May that be stamped on our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody says, amen.